The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. Breaking overnight, lawmakers in the Senate, they reach a deal to avoid a government shutdown at midnight tonight. This is the House. Well, it passes its own bill that would suspend the U.S. debt ceiling, more than likely dead on arrival when it reaches the Senate. Overseas, some big-name investors planning to cut their exposure to China as regulatory fears. They kind of continue to bubble and bubble up. This is Evergrande misses yet another debt payment. And then on Capitol Hill, Facebook under fire over its Instagram product and the negative impact it's been having on teen mental health. And then it's liftoff once again for shares of Virgin Galactic while they are soaring to new heights ahead of the opening bell. It is Thursday, September 30th, 2021. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan, kicking off your Thursday morning uh, with stock futures really popping across the board. Let's take a look. We're seeing green all across the board. All three of the major indices looking like they're going to open up about a half a percent higher. The Dow looking like it's going to open up about 200 200 points, not percent. 200 points higher, at least right now. Of course, that can always change. This comes after a mostly positive session for stocks yesterday, with the exception of the Nasdaq, which saw its fourth down day in a row. That index is now down more than 3.5% since Monday and on pace for its worst week. Take a look at this. It's worst week since February. For the month, we're talking about an almost 5% loss for its worst month since September of 2020. You're seeing the lines right here. And bonds continue to watch that yield on the 10-year amid a bit of a wild week. This morning right now, we see it continues to be above 1.5%. That seems to be a key level right now at 1.524. Always watching that, especially its impact on tech. And then looking at commodities. Natural gas, really the big story, getting hammered yesterday, but still on pace for its best quarter since 2005. You're seeing right here. 50% increase in the past three months. So some big moves right there on the natural gas space as far as commodities. Let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trades over in Europe. Our Juliana Tattlebaum, she's standing by in our London newsroom. Good morning, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, Asian markets seem to have taken a cue from that uh, more or less stable session stateside yesterday. So fairly a resilient and muted moves overnight. The Shanghai Composite ending about 0.9% higher. That was despite some disappointing data out of China. Chinese factory activity surprising to the downside. The sector shrinking for the first time since February 2020, according to the latest PMIs. Also, investors shrugging off that news, as you mentioned, out of Evergrande, missing another debt repayment deadline. But investors 
futures taking that in stride. The Hang Seng down about 0.4% in the overnight session. The Nikkei 225 down by about a third of a percent as well. Over in Australia, some outperformance with that index ending about 1.9% higher. Turning to Europe, we are seeing the gains continue. Green across the board for European majors this morning, led by the Swiss market about 0.8% higher. And this comes after a strong day yesterday with European markets rebounding about 0.6%, breaking a three-day losing streak. So some more signs of stabilization coming through in the European session so far this morning. Finally, from a sector perspective, uh, hopefully we can show you what the split looks like from sectors. Uh, And here we go. We've got nearly every sector trading higher. The only exception, utilities trading down about a quarter of a percent. We have some news out of the UK, a few more small energy suppliers going out of business amid this spike in wholesale gas prices that we've seen. So a little bit of pressure coming through for the utility sector. Basic resources out in front up 1.7%, so shrugging off that disappointing data out of China. Frank, back over to you. All right, Juliana, thanks a lot for that action over in Europe. All right, back home, the Senate reaching a deal to avoid a government shutdown on Friday. Our Bertha Coons is here with that and many more of this morning's other top stories. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announcing the deal on the Senate floor late yesterday that averts a government shutdown, which would have taken place at midnight tonight. The continuing resolution will keep the government open through December 3rd of this year. The measure does not include the debt limit increase. The bill now heads to the House and then the president's desk. Now, action in the Senate coming after the House voted to suspend the U.S. debt ceiling along party lines. However, it's not clear whether Republicans will allow the measure to pass in the Senate. Democrats will need to have 60 votes in order to pass that legislation in order to prevent the nation from defaulting on the debt. With that out of the way for now, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she's planning to bring the infrastructure bill to the floor today. And a pair of upcoming IPOs to tell you about. First, it's Lifetime telling investors that it plans to sell about 46 million shares between $18 and $21 apiece in a public market debut on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker LTH. At 21 bucks, the fitness company's valuation could jump to $4.1 billion. Reports say the company plans to price on October 6th and start trading the next day. Meantime, shopping mall staple Claire's is also filing to go public despite mounting losses in its most recent quarter. The accessory selling ear piercing, ear piercing retailer says it's identified opportunities for faster growth. The company filed for bankruptcy back in 2018 after being saddled with nearly $2 billion in debt. It's been privately held since 2008. Frank, that is one of those places that young girls love to go. Yeah, you know, I, I've obviously seen them a million times. I know they sell like, you know, jewelry and like, I think get your ear pierced there, you said, right? I've never got my ears pierced, certainly not there. Yeah. I'm more excited about that Lifetime IPO. I'm a big fan of Lifetime gyms. It's odd that they're going public after the pandemic, along with Equinox probably going public, because you kind of think that the gym business might yeah. be going away, but I love their gyms. They're so nice. I think a lot of people like the idea of going out and being more social when they work out. You know, if you're going to build muscle, you want to flex them. Yeah, absolutely. Bertha Coombs, thanks for the latest. We appreciate it. All right, turning our attention back to the broader markets, your next guest says the events of the past few weeks have really proven investors and traders are playing one big game of chicken with no one wanting to be the first to step out of harm's way. Let's welcome in Malcolm Etheridge, financial advisor at CIC Wealth. Hey, well, Malcolm, how's it going? Morning, Frank. Thanks for having me. 
So, Malcolm, you say that Congress is the biggest risk to the market. We're seeing right now the House, the House voted to suspend the debt ceiling. Senate Republicans are already saying that's dead on arrival. That's not going to work. But then this morning, we see futures up on the last day of what's looking like the worst month in just about a year. Is this just people buying the dip or is there some other reason for futures to be up today? Well, as you just alluded to, it's it's mostly nobody wants to be the first one to say goodbye, right? No one wants to be the first one to say, I've had enough. This is a wild ride. I'm not willing to take the ride any further. But what I would say is if you're a retiree or even pre-retiree who's uh, relying on your investments to create income for you to live off of, this is probably a pretty good offering, right? This market has shown you as you just finished uh, painting the picture the last month, especially it is going to be a bumpy ride toward the end of this year because of Congress and all of the infighting with the Democrats and everything else. It just looks like it's it's painting the picture that we're in for some swings. And so it's not a bad time to be taking a few chips off the table, take the bird in the hand. And as your friend Jim Cramer likes to say, no one ever went broke taking a profit. Right. <laughs> wise advice. Wise advice from a wise man. Um, Rates, they hit up to 1.56% on the 10-year yesterday, excuse me, yields hit 1.56%, easing off a bit of that uh, now at 1.25 right now. You cite that as one of the factors that created some of the dips in the market. Um, I got to ask you, what's going to be a catalyst for the markets to turn around? I mean, we're half, all coming off a really bad September, this last day of the month. Do you see anything in, in the future, at least in the near term, that's going to make it a much better October? Well, much of the infrastructure bill that's being batted around right now, the soft infrastructure part, the three and a half trillion that's still being batted around. I, I think that could be a little bit of why we've seen some of these dips we've seen uh, in most recent, you know, the last couple of weeks. If it looks like that bill is really going to pass as is and not going to be significantly down, that could actually create a bit of a catalyst toward the end of the year because there's a lot of spending in there that's going to benefit small and mid caps especially. But then also, if you just consider the fact that as, a, as we got done talking about, like there's so much uh, enthusiasm still in the markets and there's still a lot of people proving that they have firepower left after uh, running up GameStop and AMC and everything else that everybody wanted to say that, okay, the retail trade is done. Folks are proving they still have some firepower left to deploy. And so there's enough there just with the infrastructure bill finally making its way through. They could push, you know, a, a couple a couple more percentage points before the end of the year for sure. All right, Malcolm, we're almost out of time, but I want to get to one of your stock picks. A company called LoveSack. Can you give me the elevator sure. pitch? I didn't even know this company was public. So the, the, the big thing around LoveSack is they appeal to millennials. They make modular furniture that's very easy to install. It shows up to your house in, in these cute little boxes. And it's got very good brand recognition and a very good stronghold on uh, millennials and younger uh, buyers. And so if you compare, if you couple that with the fact that the buy now, pay later uh, craze that you guys have been reporting on for a while has made it so much easier to bring these kind of things home, these big ticket items, bring them home with, you know, next to zero percent interest over three or four years. Uh, that could be a very good uh, way to play the the housing trend that's happening with a bunch of people because of the pandemic and otherwise jumping into these stocks uh, that are related to forming new housing. All right, Malcolm Ethers, we appreciate the insight. Thanks for being here. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, one of the world's largest automakers looks to jump headfirst into the business of electric vehicle takeoff and landing. Our Phil LeBeau is here with those details. Plus, Facebook's global head of safety heads to Capitol Hill today amid allegations its Instagram product is harmful to teens that use it. 
why our next guest says this could be the smoking gun that lawmakers have been looking for. And later, opportunities in tech. We break down the stocks that some analysts are calling a screaming buy. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. Known globally for its smartly priced and long-lasting sedans, Honda is getting its feet wet in the new industry of electric vehicles. But we're not talking a Tesla killer here. Our Phil LeBeau joins us now with much more. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Frank. We're talking about electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. And if you say Honda in the aircraft game, don't be surprised. They've made the Honda jet for a number of years here. Here is an animated rendering, if you will, of what the Honda EV tall is going to look like or what they expect it to look like. They are designing this for short trips in urban areas. Uh, and when they build this, it's still unclear exactly when they expect it to go into service. Most of the newer projects when it comes to EV tolls are targeting 2024, 2025. Take a look at some of the other ones that are already in the development phase and expected to come to market over the next couple of years. We're talking about Joby, Archer, Lilium. I've counted at least 12 different companies that are working on EV tolls right now. And again, those companies are targeting service to begin 2024, 2025. But They also have to go through a number of regulatory hurdles, not just here in the U.S., but around the world. What we're showing you here are the Joby, Archer, and Lilium stocks since they started trading. Now, you can go back a little bit further for Joby, but really the last couple of weeks is what we're looking at here. Not a whole lot of action. Be curious to see what these guys do over the next couple of years. Take a look at shares of Honda. They have not uh, said exactly when the EV tall that they are working on will go into service, but keep in mind, they have delivered more than 170 Honda jets, which they first started working on more than 15 years ago. Uh, the first delivery starting in 2014, I believe. Uh, and they are recognized around the world as a short-haul uh, aircraft jet that people enjoy in the uh, upper class, enjoy buying for whether it's uh, themselves or maybe a small business. Wouldn't call it a business aircraft so much as a, a, a personal jet if you will. Uh, But they're quite successful in that area and they continue to grow there. And now they want to do this in the electric vertical takeoff and landing area. Frank? Yeah, you know, Phil, I think if I had the money for a personal jet, I would just enjoy it no matter what. Uh, But on a serious note, uh, (laughs) Honda obviously has tremendous production capabilities. But the question here is, are they making a smart move trying to develop an EVITAL, given how much time and money they're already spending developing electric cars and electric trucks? Right. Well, that's a great question. Uh, And when it comes to electric cars and electric trucks, 
Honda is not considered a leader. Uh, they are catching up, so to speak, uh, at least in terms of those vehicles that you and I see and those that are offered to us. In fact, they don't even have an electric vehicle on the market, won't have one uh, for a couple of years here. So you've got to spend a lot of money to catch up in that market, and then you have the development. But they've done this over the years, Frank, where they have worked on projects on the side, and people have said, is that really the smartest thing to do? I remember when we were covering the development of the uh, Honda jet, people were like, why are you making a jet? This is not a smart idea. Uh, but that's been, that has been a successful market for them, and they're expecting the same thing from EV tolls, albeit we're not going to see any kind of reward, if you will, for Honda until 24, 25 at the earliest. Well, great insight as always, Phil. We appreciate it. Thanks for being here. All right, still on deck. It's go big or go home with Treasury Partners Richard Saperstein, why he's going all in on big tech for the fourth quarter. We'll explain. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. Amid growing criticism of Facebook's Instagram and its impact on team mental health, Facebook's global head of safety heads to Capitol Hill today to testify and defend the company's practices. Among the allegations at the center of this probe, most of them brought to light by a series of investigations by The Wall Street Journal using Facebook's own internal data. Here's the numbers. 32% of teen girls say that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram had made them feel worse. Facebook data says that teens blame Instagram for increases in anxiety and increases in depression. And among teens who reported suicidal thoughts, 13% of British users and 6% of American users they trace those suicidal thoughts back to Instagram. Joining me now is Oxford Internet Institute Director of Research, Andrew Shabelsky. Andrew, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. So, Andrew, I know you're not under the, the thought, at least, that there's a smoking gun. Right now, you think this is more exploratory. Hard to ignore that, that data right there, that, that Facebook and Instagram knew that their internal data showed that 13% of teen girls in the U.K. and 6% of American teens, teen girls, they had suicidal thoughts after using Instagram. How do you get around that when you're testifying a bunch of in front of uh, a bunch of senators? Well, I'm happy that I'm not. Um, but I can say that, honestly, this is this looks like Facebook playing catch up uh, to what we in the academic community have been talking about for, you know, going on half a decade. Um, we know that young people kind of uh, uh, live, breathe, eat and sleep uh, online life and offline life. And there really isn't much of a barrier between the two. So in a way, this is actually pretty fa fairly basic, diligent research that I think that they would be diligent, they would be a, a deficit uh, if they hadn't been doing. Um, and, and I'm just really disappointed that it's only coming to light now. There, there isn't a smoking gun here, but I think it's, uh, it's really disappointing that it took some expose uh, to get Facebook on the same page as, as many scientists like myself. I agree with you. No smoking gun, but it certainly doesn't look very good. Those numbers alone, and I know obviously 13% in the UK, 6% here in the US, um, you know, statistically maybe low, but just, you know, the real world impact of that's huge. Um, I have to yeah, ask you I, one question, just a devil's advocate. 
Don't yeah. we all know that social media isn't great for us? Don't we all know that social media is not great? Are parents a little bit responsible? Are parents on the hook for some of this in your mind? Well, I mean, I'm also a parent, uh, but I could say that, that, that I think that we as a society are on the hook for this. Um, again, there's not much of a barrier between online and offline life. And it's true. You know, we, we have many opinions about how things like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram impact us. But the difference between kind of how many people believe that almost like a political poll and whether or not that thing actually causes harm, uh, it's a very important distinction, because if we want to take steps to make online spaces safer, uh, we need to actually know what the heck is going on. And so it would be a bit like trying to study nutrition uh, and asking people if a specific food made them feel feel bad. Um, that doesn't necessarily lead to really good dietary advice. Right. But on the on the flip side, some food makes us feel good, like a piece of cake right now. I love a piece of carrot cake. That makes me feel great, but it's not necessarily good for me. Um, exactly. And so we have an entire science of nutrition and right. and uh, and health and, and exercise. Uh, and, and the really crazy thing here is that uh, these kinds of studies are, are being done behind closed doors. So uh, I want to ask really. Uh, yeah, sorry, go on. No, I don't want to cut you off, Andrew, but I, I just want to get to a really important point. I know you're not a business person. You don't really look at the stocks, but these stocks, they're really judged by investors, at least by the growth of their users, the levels of engagement. Will any of this, the Senate testimony, some of this data that looks pretty damning, um, I don't have all of it, but from what we've read, it looks pretty damning. Do you see that impacting the behavior of teens on the site at all? Or do you see it impacting the way that parents monitor their interaction? Yeah, so I would say that, you know, the, the very fact that there are question marks here mean and the science that, you know, the, the verdict isn't in with the science probably means that there's a lot of uh, uh, downside risk that's not priced in uh, to how we think about these companies and their value. And, and I think that as a scientist and as a parent, uh, not as a business specialist, um, that if we get on top of this with, again, open and transparent science, it'll make it much more clear what the real risks are, um, both if you're a user or, or an investor. All right, Andrew, we got to get out of here. But just one quick question, kind of a yes or no. Are you going to let your kids stay on social media after this? Um, it doesn't change my mind. Thankfully, they're quite a bit younger. Uh, I'll let them stay on their Nintendo Switch. <laughs> much safer platform, at least according to this data. All right. Thank you very much, Andrew Shabelsky. We appreciate the insight. Very sensitive subject there. All right. Now Anytime. let's turn our attention to this morning's other headlines outside of the business world. NBC's Frances Rivera. She's in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Frances. Hi, Frank. Good morning to you. Pop star Britney Spears scores a major legal victory in court. Spears is one step closer to freeing herself after a judge ruled last night to suspend her father from her conservatorship. Since 2008, the singer's father has had control almost over almost every aspect of her life and finances, including what medications she took, whether Britney Britney could have children and how much of her own $60 million fortune she could spend. The elder Spears maintained that everything he did was for his daughter's safety and well-being. And there is another hearing to attempt to fully end her conservatorship on November 12th. Mount Kilauea, one of the most active volcanoes on Earth, is erupting on Hawaii's Big Island. The eruption is in a crater in Kilauea's summit, Caldera. Thankfully, it's not near homes and is entirely contained within Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. That same area erupted last December and continued until May. It has been over 20 years since you were entertained by Gladiator, and now there may, may be more action to come. In an interview with Empire Magazine, director Ridley Scott says a sequel to the 2000 film is being written right now and that it'll be good to go once he wraps up production of a movie on Napoleon. So two great ones to watch out for when it comes to Ridley Scott. Frank, those are your headlines for today. Yeah, I was a big fan of Gladiator. I don't know if you're ever going to come up with a more iconic quote than, are you entertained? Like, mm -hmm. I don't think, how can you write anything better than that? 
that. I, this is one. It's going to be hard to get like a Godfather 2 situation out of Gladiator 2. He might be doing it right now as we speak. It's being written. We'll see. <laughs> I hope so. I'm looking forward to it. Francis Rivera, we appreciate it. Have a great sure morning. Thing. All right, straight ahead, why a one-time Tesla bull says he sold all of his stake in that company. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, Big Papa Brian Sullivan, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. A September to remember as investors prepare to close out a bit of a rocky month as well as the quarter. Futures pointing to solid gains for the finish. And let's make a deal. The Senate approving an agreement to keep the government running while the House clears a debt ceiling plan that's honestly probably doomed to fail. We're live in Washington with the very latest. And as we close out the third quarter, Richard Saperstein is, uh, is here with his stock picks for the final three months of 2021 as our series. Go big or go home. It rolls on. It's Thursday, September 30th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland in for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan. And here is how stock futures are looking just about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour here in the New York City area. Right now, we're seeing green all across the board, all three of the major indices up just about a half a percent. We're seeing the Dow at this point, at least, looking like it's going to open up more than 200 points higher at the open. You want to keep a close eye on big tech today and the Nasdaq 100 coming off its third down day in a row and on pace to snap a three month win streak down more than five percent this month alone. In fact, more than a quarter of all Nasdaq 100 stocks are down more than 20 percent from their most recent 52 week highs, also called a bear market territory. You don't have to go to Investopedia for that one. Among the biggest laggard in the index, Pin Duo Duo. We're going to show it to you right here. Down uh, Baidu down 57 percent. Zoom down 56 percent, believe it or not. Peloton down 49 percent and Biogen down 39 percent. But here's the kicker. For the most part, analysts remain bullish on these stocks, according to FactSet. 79% of analysts have buy ratings on Pinduoduo with zero sell ratings. 86% say buy Baidu. 52% like Zoom. 74% they're still recommending Peloton. And 52% they're hot on Biogen. With that in mind, possibly some bargains out there for investors who are out there looking for a deal, maybe looking to buy the dip. Now that your morning's other top stories, Bertha Coombs is back with many more of those. Good morning again, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. A growing number of big investors are reportedly shying away from investing in China now. According to the Financial Times, citing a new survey from Invesco conducted in June and July, 12% of more than 200 investors polled say they expect to reduce their positions in the country. That's three times as many as when the survey was last conducted in 2019. The poll also shows that the number of investors who plan to increase their exposure to China has dropped significantly in that same time, from 80% to just 64%. Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell says inflation won't be going anywhere anytime soon, saying he expects price pressures to run into next year. During a panel hosted by the ECB yesterday, Powell said he and most of his Fed colleagues expect current inflation levels to ease as supply chain bottlenecks ease and demand goes back to pre-pandemic levels. He added that 2022 should be quite a strong year for economic growth. And Tesla bull Jamath Palapatiya has revealed 
that he has sold his position in the EV maker. Paul Patia making that revelation while speaking with Scott Wapner during CNBC's Delivering Alpha event. You still have a sizable stock position in Tesla? No. You sold it? Yeah. When? Uh, over the last few years, we've sort of, you know, not last few years, like really in the last year or so particularly, you know, the prices allowed me to, again... I'm surprised to hear you say that after what you just said about the company. Well, I, I don't have an infinite pool of capital. You know, I'm myself. I don't raise funds. I can't go to other people. Um, and so when I have these ideas, the money has to come from someplace. Even billionaires have to sell their winners sometimes. Paul Patia adding that he's still bullish on Tesla, but that his take on the company has changed, saying he completely underestimated just how big the EV market could be. You can catch all the great Delivering Alpha content now available on demand. Just go to DeliveringAlpha.com for details, Frank. That's just amazing that he underestimated how big the EV market could be, having been such a big Tesla bull. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I think the key word is he said, I don't have an infinite pool of cash. I got to make decisions like a lot of other investors out there. Very interesting uh, insight from Chamath. Bertha Coombs, we appreciate it as always. Now to Washington, where the Senate has struck a deal to avoid a government shutdown with just about a day left to do so. That agreement coming as the House signs off on a measure to suspend the debt ceiling. But that bill likely dead on arrival once it hits the Senate. Alon Moy joins us now with the very latest on a very high stakes week down in D.C. Alon? Well, Frank, there's at least one thing that Republicans and Democrats can agree on right now, and that is that they need to keep the government open. Now, Congress is planning to vote on a bill today that would keep the lights on through December the 3rd. The Senate will go first, then the House, and both parties are confident that they can get this to the president's desk before the deadline at midnight. We are ready to move forward. We have an agreement on the CR, the continuing resolution to prevent the government shutdown. Democrats also insist that they will move forward on the bipartisan infrastructure bill in the House, daring progressives to follow through on their promise to block it unless the social spending package has passed as well. But the head of the Progressive Caucus, Representative Pramila Jayapal, was clear. She tweeted, progressives remain ready and willing to vote for the infrastructure bill after the popular Build Back Better Act is passed, we can't leave child care, paid leave, health care, housing, education and climate action behind. Translation, Democrats do not have the votes for this. Democratic leaders Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer discussed a stalemate with President Biden in the Oval Office yesterday evening. After it was over, Pelosi told reporters the plan is still to vote today. No time has been set yet, though, Frank. And I can tell you on the schedule, there's just a bunch of question marks around where the time should be. Back over to you. Yeah, a lot of question marks down there in D.C., Alon. Uh, question, no debt ceiling resolution last night. What can we all expect in the days ahead? Yeah, so as you mentioned, the House did pass that bill that would have suspended the debt ceiling through 2022, but it is going nowhere in the Senate. Republicans say there's no way they're going to help Democrats pass this. And meanwhile, Democrats say they're not going to use that fast-track reconciliation process uh, that they're using for the social spending bill to pass the debt ceiling as well. So we remain in a standoff, and uh, October 18th is the deadline for them to figure something out. And right now, there's no sign of either one breaking that is something to watch because that is something that could really rattle the markets and spook investors. All right, Alon Moy, thanks for the latest and all that drama down in D.C. We appreciate it.
All right, turning our attention back over to the markets and the final installment of our fourth quarter, Go Big or Go Home series. Two weeks of stock picks that you can't afford to miss. This week alone, really full of surprises from Katie Stockton, Jenny Harrington, Kate Faddis, recommending names like Magellan Midstream, Sabra, Dish, MasterCard, Radnet, and Okta. Let's see what our final guest has up his sleeve. Richard Saperstein is the chief investment officer at Treasury Partners and a Barron's 100 top independent advisor for 2021. A lot of accolades there, Richard. Also, you're the managing director. I'm going to give you one more. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks, Frank. All right, man. You're, you're like batting cleanup. Well, I guess that's not cleanup. I guess cleanup's fourth. But anyway, you're last up before we have our, our big roundtable tomorrow. What's your first pick? I know you're a big fan of big tech. Well, the reasons uh, we like big tech is basically uh, there's a passive bid in the market through indexing. So 25 cents of every dollar goes in the S&P goes into tech. Uh, 40 cents every, of every dollar going into the queues will go into tech. CapEx is now in, growing in the U.S., and a third of all CapEx is going into technology. As Bertha just mentioned, the uh, China tech crackdown is leading fewer choices for tech investors. There's a growth scarcity out there. Only 70 companies in the S&P now have grown at 15 percent a year versus uh, pre-post-crisis. It was 150 companies a year. Revenues are growing faster than the S&P. Uh, their tech margins are greater. And the beta in tech stocks is lower than it was 20 years ago. So for those reasons, uh, <clears throat> we, we're overweight in technology. Uh, the name we're adding right now uh, happens to be one going through a, a transformational moment where it's moving its revenue stream from product sales to subscription services. And that would be Cisco. It's a $240 billion company, 2.5% uh, dividend. Uh, they're returning around 1.5% in stock buybacks. And so we see the company going from roughly 32% uh, of, of subscription sales to 50% of subscription software sales in 2025. And then you, we, when, you, when you overlay that with the multiples of a product sale company like a hardware, it's 10 times earnings. Uh, the subscription sales will get them 20, 22 times earnings. Okay. So we think there could be a good uh, re-rating on uh, Cisco. All right. Uh, I want to ask you another question about Cisco before we get to your other pick, which is Bang or, you know, basically Fang with Microsoft replacing Netflix. Um, but really <laughs> quick on Cisco. Uh, CEO Chuck Roberts' last earnings, he really warned about supply chain issues that would lead to a problem sourcing components and things for their hardware business and also would lead them to raise prices. Concerned about that at all? I mean, you're talking about things in 2025. What about 2022? Yeah, well, the company's selling at 16 and a half times earnings, which is lower than the market multiple. We think it's already reflected in the stock. And supply chain disruptions are, are really temporary. We expect them to be ironed out over the next year across really a wide range of industries. So back to your other big pick here, which is uh, Fang with Microsoft replacing Netflix. I don't even know how to say it. FAMG, whatever people want to call it now. Um, that's mega cap tech. Why are you so bullish on mega cap tech? A lot of people think it's overpriced and it's kind of run its course. And a lot of people are kind of uh, cycling to different trades like the value trade. Well, we like technology, the mega cap techs, because they have very strong operating cash flow. Uh, take a company like uh, Microsoft. There's $77 billion in uh, operating cash flow. They spend about $20 billion in uh, CapEx. So you have a company that's generating roughly a billion dollars a week in free cash flow. 
And they're turning around and, and, and repurposing that free cash flow in whether, whether it's stock buybacks uh, or other items. So that structure of the free cash flow is evident in an Amazon and a Google. Uh, if you get a market that goes down 10, 15 percent, you can be sure that these companies will be in there buying back stock to support their, their price levels. There we go. Richard Saperstein, we appreciate the insight. And thanks for keeping it nice and calm today, man. I've seen you on halftime mixing up with Weiss and Josh Brown. All right, don't miss tomorrow. We bring everyone back for one more panel. I'm going to expect to see the feistiness then, Richard. And you're going to defend your pick along with everybody else and maybe throwing in a few more picks. Coming up, your morning's big money movers, including investors getting a clear look at one market debut and shares of Virgin Galactic rocketing higher than Unthinks. But first, as we had to break, some of today's trending stories, Dollar Tree being forced to break its decades-long practice of selling items for just $1. The company will bump prices above that threshold due to the cost of products in just about every area increasing amid supply chain crunches and rising inflation. The NFL becoming the latest professional sports league to get into the NFT business. Dapper Labs, the company behind the popular NFT platform NBA Top Shots, has signed a deal with the NFL and the Players Association to create exclusive digital video highlights. And the times may change, but the craze over Pokemon apparently does not. According to reports, a rare new cookie from the Pokemon and Oreo collaboration is selling for hundreds, even thousands of dollars on eBay. Thousands of dollars for a cookie. Really? Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. I'm not here to judge. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. Stock one, Warby Parker, shares of the eyeglass maker, pulling back just a bit today after they soared more than 30% from their reference price of $40 in the company's direct listing. The stock opening at roughly $54 and closed about 50 cents higher than that, giving Warby Parker a valuation just shy of $7 billion. Stock two, Amazon. The company has settled a case with two former employees who alleged they were wrongly fired. The complaint filed by the National Labor Relations Board last year claims the women were terminated for publicly speaking out about Amazon's record on climate and working conditions. As part of the settlement, Amazon is required to pay back wages and post notices that it cannot fire people for organizing and exercising their rights. Stock three, Virgin Galactic. We've been talking about it all morning. The company says the FAA has cleared it to resume launches following a probe into why its spaceship veered off course while landing during a flight in July with founder Richard Branson on board. Virgin Galactic has said high winds caused the changes, and the company insists that its pilots responded accordingly. It will implement additional steps in its flight procedures. All right, turning our attention now to Delivering Alpha, some of the most influential investors, political and economic leaders, all of them coming together for CNBC's annual Delivering Alpha event. These big names tackling some critical issues facing investors all across the globe and China proving to be a hot button issue. Our Leslie Picker joins us now with the key takeaways from that event. Good morning, Leslie. Hey, good morning, Frank. That's right. China and the investability in the region came up in several conversations yesterday at Delivering Alpha. Social Capital's Chamath Palahapatiya said he can only invest somewhere where he understands the rules, so he's avoiding China. And what I've seen over the last six months has really shaken my confidence in my ability to predict what happens next. And so from my perspective, it's a place that I right now will read about and not invest in. 
Brad Gerstner of Altimeter echoed a similar sentiment, calling China a, quote, national enterprise with one CEO. He said there's, quote, radical uncertainty about the future path. Certainly there's a possibility that this just is another bump in the road, that everything reverts back, that Baba and all these stocks rip again. Um, but I don't think you can anybody can say that with a high level of certainty. J.P. Morgan's Mary Erdos was a bit more optimistic, noting, quote, China has gone on sale. And so now is the opportunity to find companies that could benefit from the common prosperity and narrowing wealth gap. She said the risks surrounding property giant Evergrande don't appear to be systemic. Everyone's talking about Evergrande as if it's a, a country. It's just a company. Uh, it's not a small company, but it's it's not the largest thing that's happening in China. It's only 2% of the real estate debt market in China. It's only 1% of the China-U.S. dollar bond market, and it's less than half of a percent of the China local bond market. And so, no, is it a Lehman Brothers? No. Is it, a, is it a Bear Stearns moment that leads to something that we don't know about? Maybe, but it's not as interconnected as what you're talking about when you think about the banking system in different countries around the world. If you want to see any videos from yesterday's event in their entirety, go to deliveringalpha.com and you can watch on demand after registering. Frank. A lot of interesting commentary there. Um, I think a lot of people seem to agree that China is seen as a big risk to the market. What's your sense of the overall sentiment from investors in general going forward when it comes to Chinese investing? Yeah, so I've covered about four or five of these Delivering Alpha events. And I will say there was a lot of caution pretty much unanimously among every speaker at yesterday's Delivering Alpha with regard to the markets. Mary Erdos, for example, JP Morgan was saying, this is not normal. What we've seen so far is not normal over the last year with 30%, 40% gains in the stock market since last year's Delivering Alpha. And she's grappling with telling clients and reminding them that stocks don't always go up like that. You also heard from Brad Gerstner, who said that he is actually paring back his net long exposure to stocks because things do seem to be priced pretty well right now. He's taking his long exposure um, down from 90% to 50%, so almost cutting it in half as a result of some of the recent run-up. And so I think people are looking at what's gone on, with, gone on with the market, looking at some of the macro issues at play, some of the risks out there, China being one of them, and saying maybe it's a, bit, it's, it's a time to get a bit more conservative. Our Leslie Picker with the latest from Delivering Alpha. We really appreciate it. All right, on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, stocks working to end a very volatile September. On a strong note, you see futures are up. Ally Invest, Lindsay Bell, she's going to lay out whether more wild springs await the final quarter of the year. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you miss Big Papa Brian Sullivan, you miss just watching the show, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange will be right back. All right, welcome back. Stock's trying to close out a bit of a rocky September. On a positive note, you see futures right now in the green across the board. You see the Dow looking like it could open up as much as 150 to 170 points at the open. But let's just be honest. It's been a really tough month for stocks, not factoring in today's moves. The major indices are looking at losses between 2.5% and nearly 5% on the NASDAQ. Obviously, the rise in bond yields playing a big factor. But you have to remember, one month, it does not make a quarter. A mixed picture for the third quarter overall, with the Dow down slightly, the Nasdaq flat, and the S&P actually up nearly 1.5%. 
For more, let's bring in Lindsay Bell, Chief Investment Strategist at Ally Invest, a CNBC contributor and a graduate of one of the finest educational institutes in the world. We're going to get to that in a moment, Lindsay. But first off, let's start about the markets. Uh, how are you today? Good. How are you? Good, good. So we just talked about it. Kind of a rough September, but historically, the data points to kind of a big turnaround, maybe as soon as tomorrow. Can you break down what the fourth quarter generally uh, gives us historically? Yeah, um, tomorrow, I know we kick October off. Uh, it might be a little bit too soon for the market to just do, do a 180. But um, we are hopeful looking forward to the fourth quarter because seasonally November, December are strong months for the market. Um, and we're also hopeful for a turnaround in economic data. You're starting to see the LEI, leading economic indicators, and other, um, other surprise indexes turn a little bit positive. So that we view as a positive uh, a positive sign going into the fourth quarter. Also, I would say the rise in the 10-year, while faster than the market would really like to see, has historically been an indicator that economic data can turn around. So we are hopeful. And of course, um, you know, we believe the strength of the consumer can help help the market move forward uh, as, as the next few months. Yeah, let's talk persist. about that strength of the consumer, Lindsay. Um, you cited some data from the American Association of Independent Investors that really focuses on retail investors, showing that there's an increase in bearish sentiment about the markets and a decrease in bullish sentiment. But we aren't seeing people vote that way, at least metaphorically, with their wallet. Consumer spending continues to be really strong. I just did a story yesterday. Salesforce says that prices are up 20 percent and demand for things like clothing up 37 percent and demand for luxury items like luxury handbags up over 40 percent. Um, what do you make of all this? Are people feeling, you know, bearish but still interested in buying stocks and keeping their money in the market? Yeah, it's really interesting. We're, we're at this, this point in time where the consumer is saying one thing and they're doing a completely different thing. So you look at in, investor sentiment gauges like that. They become very bearish and much less bullish than they have been in the past. But we saw last week uh, a, a lot of money flowed into the market despite the down, down day. We saw it really was a buy the dip mentality came back into the marketplace. Same with consumer sentiment and consumer confidence. It's dipped in the last couple months. But in the month of August, we saw retail sales surprise to the upside. I think the consumer, when there is a reason to spend money, they, they go out there and they do it because they still remain flush with cash. You look at deposits at, at banks domestically, it's at, it's at an all-time high, over $17 trillion. The savings rate is still at 9.6%. And a lot of economists will talk about how that could save us going into the next year, meaning that because the consumer is so flush, the growth could come from their spending, despite uh, some of the challenges that we might see ahead. So one thing I know you're keeping your eye on are supply chain issues. Um, one thing that may be encouraging for a lot of retailers and maybe even consumers in the long run is that container prices over the last two weeks or so, they've actually declined a bit by about 7%. Do you see that trend continuing or as we get closer and closer to the holiday season, do you see those supply chain issues and expenses continuing to grow? You know, I think everyone's incentivized right now to, to, to work out the kinks that are in the supply chain, the bottlenecks that have been here for more than a year. And so, yes, I'm encouraged by that data. I think I want to see that trend continue for a little bit longer. But we've also seen data with import prices um, coming down in the month of August for the first time in 10 months. That's a good sign for inflation. And also in China, I know the manufacturing data this morning was weak, but some of the export data, the more recent export data, um, surprised to the upside too. So I think things are, are they're moving, they're working out. Um, 
but and it's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, the supply chain issues don't get solved overnight, but we're moving in the right direction. Lindsay, we got to say one more thing before we go. You ready? One, two, three. Yes. Hail to Pitt. Hail to Pitt. You, you, you left me hanging. <laughs> me and Lindsay are both graduates of the University of Pittsburgh. Lindsay, thanks for being here. we got to leave it there. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. And take that, Virginia Tech and Brian Sullivan. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.